listening to the News for the Soul radio network. Hey, everyone, all you gardeners and lovers of nature, welcome to Super Soul Solutions. If any of you have been wondering if you can talk with plants, trees, and flowers, the answer is a resounding yes. And I'm sure many of you have intuitively kind of thought that was possible for a long time. If you watch young children, it's very natural for them to be speaking to flowers, plants, trees, and all manner of sentient nature. So today, we are continuing in the same vein of cross-species communication as the previous three shows on animal whispering, but... Today is what I call plant whispering or plant communication, since indeed the principles are the same for communicating with plants, trees, flowers, animals, and each other. And today you will learn about scientific experiments that illustrate that plants do indeed communicate, read our intent, and much more. For me, this is a really, really fun and exciting topic, and I have practiced it. As I have animal communication, I do not consider myself an expert, but it is, I'm into creating magical and wondrous days of synchronicity, and it's amazing what happens when you do this, even if you don't think you're hearing anything back, okay? So be, you know, in beginner's mind and just be childlike with this. Uh, Just a reminder that the term biocommunication means communication obviously, with biological. It began way back in 1989, which, of course, dates me, when I first read The Secret Life of Plants. And it is still a good primer and perennial New York Times bestseller on this subject of plant communication. It was originally written by Christopher Bird and Peter Tompkins, and it explores plants' responses to human care, attention, and nurturing and illustrates plants' abilities to communicate with humans. And it also explores plants' surprising reaction to music, their lie detection ability, believe it or not, their creative powers, and much more. This is a must-read to gain a deeper understanding of all sentient life and the importance of love and mutual respect and the greater truth that all living matter is conscious and consciousness. So that's the secret life of plants. You guys may want to look that up. The primitive experiments that are often performed, I'm unhappy to say, on animals, plants, and people are too often done using a negative stimuli to elicit a response. And it should, I don't get it, but it should be self-evident that how to engage with any other sentient species of life and sincere curiosity. And this is what works to draw out other humans. So it certainly is the same principle for all of life, as I've shared in my previous shows. Then in the mid-1950s, Marcel Vogel went into the direction of psychic energy with plants, kind of exploring that. And here's like one of the coolest things. He observed that plants reacted to a person's intention. They reacted one way when positive thoughts were directed to them and another way when negative thoughts were directed to them. Makes sense, right? So this was illustrated, of course, profoundly in the past decade by a man named Masuro Emoto. Many of you know his fascinating work with water. 
But what most people don't know about his work is he did an experiment with rice. And I'm going to explain this because this illustrates the power of intent, uh, especially when you're communicating with animals and plants. So he uh, took three bowl, three jars of cooked rice to a, a school with elementary children in it. And they were placed about a foot apart from each other on a table. And he had different kids file by and they could say out loud or just think the middle jar they were just to ignore and the last jar they were going to say, you know, they were, or their intent was, I love you. So what happened was actually kind of shocking and has amazing repercussions with understanding the importance of intention. So I'm going to ask you, which one of those rice jars do you think responded the worst, meaning that the rice fermented faster and had fungus faster? Was it the one that had negative thoughts? Was it the one that was just ignored? Was it the one that had positive thoughts? So quickly just kind of share your answer to that in space. Well, See if you're right. The one that degraded the most was the one ignored. So this, I'm sure you're picking up the profound implications of because negative at least is some attention and some reflection. The rice that was ignored uh, degraded the fastest. So you can apply this to children that are ignored or latchkey uh, latch kids and things like that versus ones that act out. Uh, because of negative attention, you know, to get the attention. So that was pretty profound. Uh, So uh, one of my favorite guys uh, takes me way back to the 1960s. Uh, He lives in San Diego. His name is Cleve Baxter. And he got this clever idea to pair up a galvanometer and a polygraph that was used in lie detector tests to record possible electrical stimulation responses of started off with one of his house plants. I think it was a rubber tree. Now, by the way, at this point, I want to apologize that I misstated in my pre-announcement that I sent to you that also has the pictures on it that, um, on the News for the Soul page that you can refer to because I'm going to re- uh, refer to a couple of those pictures on the pre-announcement. But I wanted to apologize that Cleve Baxter, I said, created the lie detector polygraph, and he did not create it. He took the idea of the lie detect and created a new way to record and observe amazing communication from plants, bacteria, and even sperm. And his book, again, amazing to read, really fun, are called primary, the first most important one is primary perception, biocommunication with plants, living foods, and human cells. So uh, he had amazing communication results from plants, bacteria, and even sperm and eggs, human sperm and eggs. When he started off projecting mentally to his indoor plant, and he, he had the plant all hooked up to this whole machine that would register electrical impulses, equivalent to if we were shouting or, uh, you know, in shock or anything. So he plugged in his indoor plant, rubber plant tree, and he projected a really negative impulse to it, like, I'm going to light this match and burn your leaves. 
the plant would do the equivalent of putting itself in shock and kind of pass out, showing no signs of any electrical activity. And I kind of equate this, perhaps, as this is literally what these plants are trying to do when you have ill intentions, don't warn them, uh, and are not respectful. So the, uh, a bunch of experiments were done in his book, and they're all fascinating, but quickly I'll, I'll review them, which there was an experiment in distance between the plant and the owner, which was Cleese uh, Baxter. And one of these experiments was, well, I need to start with the most important thing. A plant will begin to bond with you. Do you know how? And do you know when? A plant will begin to bond with you as soon as you water it. Okay? It's like all the creatures in the forest will show up if you start feeding them, right? If they're feral, whatever, they will come back. Well, a plant looks like care, you know, feels care and nurturing when you begin to water it and care for it. So that means that its primary attention is focused on you now as another living organism. Okay? So I wanted to say that first. So thinking about that in his laboratory is now bonded with Cleve because Cleve has been taking care of it for a long time, meaning watering it, et cetera. And he has it all rigged up to the, uh, you know, equivalent of kind of the uh, polygraph detector electrical thing. I think it's referred to as U1, the name of it. Um, so, what he was curious after doing a bunch of experiments, a few of which I'll go over, which are all fascinating, is he was experienced uh, as he learned more and more that he was curious if the plant would pick up anxiety from him, his owner, even if he wasn't in the house. So what he did was he had the plant electronic feedback on the plant. He left the house. He uh, went something like 10 miles away for a couple of hours, and he recorded if there was any time he was in stress. And I think there was one time, I can't remember the exact thing, but I think he, for, you know, uh, was trying to get on a, a bus or something and missed it. So it was a brief period of anxiety. But other than that, he felt normal. Guess what, folks? When he got back to the house, and he, ha he marked the time of all this, when he got back to the house, the exact moment of an anxiety, the plant responded equivalently electric, you know, with electronic response similar to anxiety. In other words, the concept that everything is united and one, which is the theme of kind of all my shows, more or less. Okay? So when you are not around, here's the other thing. So time and distance makes no difference, which has been proven over and over in many, many experiments. Okay, so when you are not around, the plant's attention will switch to any other living organism in the house. And Baxter recorded that the, the plant would react with shock when I think it was the lab cleaning technician came in and poured boiling water down the sink. The plant actually responded as, as if it was screaming because it was literally tuning in to the living bacteria that was in that sink drain that was being killed by the boiling water. That's how connected nature is, okay? Then um, there was 
so many more experiments, but I really want you to get his book, Primary Perception, because you'll just, you'll just love it. And there's specifically one where sperm removed from a person's body still, and even eggs, human eggs, they still keep track up to a period of time and respond to what, shall we say, the sperm donor uh, is doing, even though the, quote, sperm is no longer in the sperm donor's body, all right? Again, communication in a coherent way. So those are fascinating. That's a fascinating book and experiments to read. It's now, it was referred to as the Baxter effect because he was also one of the first. I'm, I'm kind of telling you the first people who came out with profound experiments thinking beyond the norm. And, of course, they're just sharing what indigenous people have known forever, that everything's connected and you can communicate with everything. So. Remember that the two key things to remember, which are the themes of most of my shows, are communication is done by coherence or resonating with whomever or whatever you wish to communicate with and then having respect and care for it and hopefully good intentions. And that opens up doorways. And so a small example I'd like you all to start with is how many of you, when you pick a fruit off a tree, Say thank you to the tree. Okay, start there. All right, so then um, a wonderful Italian uh, scientist, Stefano Mancuso, director of the International Laboratory of Plant Neurobiology in Florence, Italy, and the founder of the International Society for Plant Signaling and Behavior, authored several books and more than 250 scientific published papers. And I checked out his wonderful TED Talk, Today, actually, in, uh, and the talk was back in 2015 called The Intelligence and Consciousness of Plants. He begins with, quote, we already know that plants have all our human senses. They can see, hear, touch, smell, and taste, but don't have the human organs associated with our senses. We also know that they have very important and intense social lives. Are plants intelligent? Can they solve problems, communicate, and navigate their surroundings? You bet. Stefano argues something, of course, again, that has been proven in in various studies and known again among the indigenous people, that formation, sleep, remember, and signal to one another, showing that far from being passive or not conscious, plants are intelligent and aware. Stefano states what I found a fascinating fact. Never thought about it this way that 99.7% of the biomass on Earth is made of plants. And all animals and humans together just make 0.3%. That's kind of startling. And to think that most of us have forgotten and need to relearn how to communicate with 99% of the Earth that we're living on. So humans, of course, are very limited in their program conditioning to think that if another species that does not have organs like them, they cannot be aware or have a function or be conscious. And Stefano goes on to state, plants, however, are able to make calculations and memorize learning without having any so-called brain. They have passive movement, not active movement. They do this without using energy as we know it, having no muscles. Some have very fast movement, like Venus flight traps, are indeed intelligent, 
able to solve problems. So how can we tell if plants are conscious? Are they aware of themselves in the environment? Uh, Michio Kaku, I'm sure most of you have heard of him, a famous physicist, often on television, defines consciousness as, quote, the number of feedback loops that are used to create a model of your position in space, your relationship to other organisms, and, and your relationship to time, end quote. So plants qualify for being conscious because they are able to do all those things. They sense temperature, the weather, humidity, gravity, etc. Stefano actually has a map that, that says he observes a plant is unbelievably more sensitive than animals and can detect at least 20 different physical and chemical parameters all the time. The other thing is they sense vibrations which actually every living thing does, but they actually have scientifically proven that. And here's a really enlightened discovery. I think plants' roots grow toward the source of sound. So they're hearing this sound, whether we hear it or not, and they're able to sense sound and grow towards the source, and meaning their roots grow towards the source of the sound. And they are also able to produce sound. So he actually recorded a clicking sound that growing roots make that you can hear on his TED Talk. Okay, and his name is Stefano Mancuso. Alrighty, so um, let's see. In his lab, another thing he discovered which is really cool. You guys have got to watch this because he has time-lapse photography, and it's just such a wake-up call to see this in action. His lab had a support pole a couple of feet away from a brand-new bean vine plant that was in a pot. only had one leaf. It was a young plant. He took time-lapse photography, and out of all the directions this plant could have grown toward as it was growing, plant knew where the one support pole was located in the room and kept growing, swinging back and forth, directly throwing itself almost like a whip towards that support. It actually thrusts itself towards the support and even forms a hook at the end. Oh, my God. We know the bean vine is aware of the pole a couple of feet away. It doesn't do it in any other direction where the pole is not because it's looking for support for its vines. When you put two uh, bean vine plants together and one vine reaches the support first, the second plant stops trying for that support, okay, and then starts heading in another direction trying to find something it can cling on. So. It is aware of the other vine. It is conscious of that and probably in a cooperative way because they're the same species is looking for another alternative for itself. This happened 100% of the time every time they tested it. It's so cool. So plants are social organisms at every level of their evolution and they oscillate all together too. He's showing a picture of this. As they're doing this, totally synchronous rhythmic dance as these shoots are growing up and they're all growing and they do this in one frequency like a vibration together with the same species however they are different if they have to compete with another species so there is 
species recognition and keen observation on their part. He also has a picture that shows a single tree that is connected to 47 other trees through a network that shares information, nutrients, and water. I know there was a recent book, I just read it, that is very popular where she explains that a lot of trees are communicating with fungi and bacteria underground through the root systems. But he said this actual tree was connected to 47 other trees. They counted it. The other thing is they were successful in teaching a sensitive budding plant not to close its buds anymore at night when, when there is no longer a dangerous stimulus. They logged a plant's memory. Guess this, folks. This is astounding. They logged a plant's memory lasting for at least 40 days. Oh, my God, that I should do so well with that. <laughs> By the way, um, Stefano seems to think an insect appears to only have a memory for 24 hours. I do not know how he proved that, and I'm not, I'm not sure I totally buy that, but the fact that they have recorded 40 days and mo- probably longer that a plant holds a memory of what it's been taught or what it learns. So you've got to watch those videos. It's on YouTube. It's called Our Plants Conscious Stefano Mancuso, and it's a TED Talk, okay? So um, long ago, there was another successful experiment done by Luther Burbank, an American botanist, which uh, those of you that are my age have heard about, horticulturist, and he was also a pioneer in agricultural science, I think. And he developed more than 800 strains and varieties of plants over his 55-year career, many of which we all enjoy and eat today. So if I remember right, he did an extraordinary experiment I've never forgot with a large cactus that had thorns, of course. And he assumed rightly that the thorns were the cacti's protective mechanism. So, you know, to protect itself. So he talked with the cacti and said something like, this is from my memory, so quote, I will provide protection for you so you no longer need to have your thorns for protection from predators, okay? I will take good care of you and put a protective shield around you for a while so you will be protected. And he would keep reinforcing this to the cacti. And over a process of many months, the cacti began to drop its thorns because it learned it no longer needed to protect itself. And on Wikilinks, when you look up Luther Burbank, you can see the picture of Luther sitting in front of the now spineless or thornless cactus, uh, circa in like 1908 or so. And um, just an aside, have any of you hugged someone that I describe as a prickly hug? I have, and it usually is a person who is highly protective and feels invaded by other people's energy. So I kind of laughingly call it a fake hug. Paramahansa Yogananda wrote one of his favorite books, my, one of my favorite books, excuse me. It was one of the first that began to open me up, Autobiography of a Yogi. I'm sure many of you have read it. He said regarding Luther Burbank, quote, nature offered Luther an intimate communion, unlocking many of her jealously guarded secrets and giving Luther a boundless spiritual reverence. Burbank, who received Kriya Yoga initiation from Paramahansa Yogananda, is quoted as saying, quote, I practice the technique devoutly, Swamiji. Sometimes I feel very close to the infinite power, and then I have been able to heal sick persons around me, as well as many ailing plants. Also, many times, Since my mother's death, I have been blessed by her appearance and visions. She, too, has spoken to me. 
Thank you, end quote. So documented on the website, there is documentation scientifically on pubmed.gov and in the American Journal of Chinese Medicine. You want to look for the title, Seeds Induced to Germinate Rapidly by Mentally Projected Qi Energy Are Apparently Genetically Altered, end quote. So you will see, if you're looking at my show's pre-announce page, a picture of Chulin's son, a woman who is a member of the Chinese Somatic Science Research Institute and is a practitioner of a Qigong for Health path called Wachi. And all of you know what Qi is. It's energy. It's another name for energy or divine life force that teaches the practitioner to bring the Qi energy under the control of the mind. Chulin's son mentally projects Qi energy, some call it Qi energy, Qi energy, to speed up time and induce crop seeds that she holds in her hand to sprout and root three to four inches within 20 minutes, rather than the normal three to four days for the purpose of developing a more robust seed stock. And you see her doing that on the picture on my pre-announcement page. This was proven on more than 180 different location, occasions, different occasions, at universities as well as at science and research institutions in China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. The biological mechanisms that underlie this phenomenon, they say, are, are, are unknown. The camera showed time distortion taking place. I say many experiments have reported this phenomena of hyperspace time that violate the outdated classical and relativistic models in which the nature of physical matter is currently taught in most schools, which is so outdated and primitive. We can alter, fold, and bend time and space. This is known and is absolutely been used uh, by many, many, many people in secret projects and space forces, as well as intuitives and people that are more and more waking up where their abilities that are God-given are coming back online. Yippee. So I, I just say it quickly that we are all co-creators that project our intent onto the holographic world that we see to shift and change what we think of as our reality. We can all do this. It appears now that consciousness does not originate in the brain, of course. Uh, it is accessed in the quantum field of all and everything that has been measured surrounding and connecting everything and everyone to all that is. Now, I have a special treat for you, and I hope it's going to work. Uh, and this has to do with the music that plants make. And the music of plants, research, and recordings began at one of my favorite places, Domenher, Italy, in 1976, when resident researchers created a U, I think it's called a U1 or a UI instrument, that was able to capture the electromagnetic variations of the surface of plant leaves and roots and turn them into sounds. So this came out of the deep desire for contact with nature, and it ended up inspiring many plant concerts all around the world in which musicians were invited and performed along with their, like, say, synthesizer, piano, or guitar with the melodies created by trees and by the plants. 
So there was actually a concert going back and forth with the sounds they made and the musicians. So the trees can actually learn to control their electrical emissions so they can modulate the notes as if they are aware of the music they are producing. With some, it takes a little while to learn and others catch on very quickly. So Dominher is truly a unique place. And Falco, who originally built it, was a reincarnated Atlantean. I'm sure many of you have heard of Atlantis and Lemuria. So he's a reincarnated Atlantean, and he remembered a lot from that life. And he built the most spectacular underground temple with friends, only in Italy will you find this, with friends by hand and shovels at night over a process of many, many months, kind of in secret. When the Italian police finally heard about it, they came one night to catch them and arrest them. They were so astonished by the temple and its underground beauty and amazing art and mosaics that tears came to their eyes and they ended up not arresting anyone. He recently, Falco recently crossed over, but since 1976, Dominher has been a successful community of which a large part is dedicated to research and experimentation with the plant world. So when you guys can travel again, that is like one place that will be awesome to go to. And musicians there, as I said, are invited to do concerts and accompany melodies of the trees and plants because they have the same setup in their forest. So I am going to play, and I hope you can hear it, I'm going to play on my desktop uh, just a couple minutes of musicians playing with white and red roses singing back to them. And this is done through electronic equipment. And if you want to find out more about that, you would go to Dom and her music of the plants, red and white roses playing music. Okay, it's on YouTube. So here it is, and here we go. It's extraordinary. It's really fun. And uh, it's the beginning of, once again, cooperating with nature and uh, plants and learning how to communicate back and forth in so many different ways. And um, on the pre-announcement page, again, on News for the Soul, if you're looking at it, I included a picture of a young boy and girl in front of their own plants in Dominher sending messages to the plants and the plants singing back to them individually. So you can see how there's a lot electronic little electrodes connected to those plants and they project positive thoughts or tell them how much they love or, or will sing. And then these plants uh, respond back. 
So you can purchase CDs, by the way, of plants, soil, and trees singing online or to try at home or in your own gardens. Um, I know there is a Music of the Plants book and the Plants and Sounds of Soil CDs, and those are available at domanher.org, D-A-M-A-N-H-U-R.org. So uh, here is really something I think that is fascinating that I discovered, which speaks volumes that they also learned through their research. GMO plants do not sing back. Okay, that's trippy. And why? Because it's presumed they do not have an, an identity. However, here's the really cool thing. However, once a GMO plant, here's another healthy non-GMO plant sing, right? and begin to sing to people and other plants, in a relatively short time, the GMO plant will begin, because it's listening and learning from the healthy plant, it begins to sing itself. At first, very, very simple. And perhaps it's interesting to contemplate that perhaps it regained part of its identity back that it had lost. That's kind of interesting, huh? A place I visited two years ago is famous, famous for plant communication. And uh, it's called Finhorn in Northern Scotland. And it was started by a couple who got a message from on high to go buy this plot of land on a sandy beach, out of all things, and to start a community based on communication with divas and nature spirits to be in the first, one of the first examples on planet Earth of how things can flourish when you are communicating together, all right? So, um, yeah. So let me define first the difference between divas and nature spirits because they had a friend, Dorothy, who was um, able to communicate with divas. And uh, a lot of you may not understand the difference between these two terms. She communicated both with divas and nature spirits and then other people learned too. So. Uh, it's defined as divas are like angelic beings, and they design the archetypal pattern for each plant species and channel down the required energies for its manifestation on Earth. Okay? The nature spirits, on the other hand, are regarded as the builders. They work according to the archetypal design sent from the divas, and they form and build up what may be called the etheric counterpart or energetic body of the plant from the energies channeled down by the divas of each species. Now, um, I'm sure most of you know about your etheric body and that uh, you have an etheric blueprint, and it's not the body comes first and ether second. It is that you have the etheric blueprint, holographic blueprint, and physical your physical body um, to that. And that has been proven in secret projects with the holographic medical beds, by the way. So um, that information, our definition between divas and nature spirits, comes from the book written by Paul Hawken in 1975 called The Magic of Thin Horn, and I highly recommend that too. 
And also, you guys, uh, Dom and Her offers online plant communication courses taught by uh, Tigrilla Gardenia, a member of the Dom and Her community. Okay, Dom and Her is spelled D-A-M-A-N-H-U-R. So um, they, the, here's, here's, here's the amazing, totally cool thing that Dom and Her was able to accomplish by communicating once again with the Divic Kingdom and nature spirits and the plants themselves, okay? An entire community, think of an entire community of people, many of who I met, have been built on this vow of cooperation, and I visited them and got to check everything out, so I know everything they, I'm saying here is true. They were able to grow 40-pound cabbages, 8-foot delphiniums, and roses that would bloom in snow, okay? How? By plant communication and respect for the diva kingdom. Uh, Peter, who was one of the founders, said, quote, nature spirits have lost interest in humans since they have been made to feel that they are neither believed in nor wanted. Mankind has been foolish to think that they can survive healthily without the cooperation of nature spirits. End quote. So it took them a while to have the nature spirits uh, wish to work in cooperation, but they were excited about the project. This is why I did the previous shows on fairies and nature spirits, et cetera, so that you guys could practice that and get on board with that because we will create an Eden on Earth again. Peter also said, uh, quote, there was an equanimity I always mispronounce this, an equanimity and acceptance, which gave humans great latitude for errors and learning about our faults on the part of the nature divas. There was one time where the nature diva even apologized to us when an apricot couldn't take the cold and finally died. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing the humility of that coming from a nature diva. The divic world emphasized that humankind had to do one thing in order to reverse the trends of events on the planet. Remember, this is back in 1970s. Humans have to recognize within themselves the divinity and wholeness of which they are a part. They must, must touch the heart inner core, which perceives and knows itself as part of all things, all beings, and all aspects of creation. And that recognition and touching, the distinction between outer and inner eventually disappears and becomes all part of oneness. That was a direct message to all of us from the diva angelic kingdom. So uh, check out the book, The Magic of Finhorn. Now, um, there are many, many more things I could share, but I know Christmas is coming. And in dedication to my mother, who is on the other side and had communicated to me, and this so cracked me up, she said, I said, how are you doing, Mom? And she goes, oh, fine. But she said, I tell you, Earth was hard. It was so hard to be right and have no one listen to you. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And I said to her, she was ahead of her time. Needless to say, I said to her, you still not over that yet? And we both had a great laugh. So 
she, when we were growing up, she and the five kids in her family, she would just like teach us these things. She, she made it, she required me go to meditation class. And she, we had a family tradition of going and cutting down a tree. We'd go up north to a tree farm. There was also an apple, you know, I had an apple barn and apple pies and stuff. And we would go cut and pick our tree. Now, this had to be done in a particular fashion. So I'm sharing this with you because it's amazingly successful. And it's a first step you can take if you haven't gotten your tree yet. And even if you have a tree, to ensure that that tree is respected and survives longer in the water dish, okay? So what we did is we would go and we would pick out the tree, look at the lots and trees. Then we would pay for it. We put a red tag on it saying it was paid for. And we would all circle around the tree. And we would project the image and ask the tree, uh, to start pulling up its sap out of the roots into its main trunk. This allows it to live longer once it's cut down. We also apologize for cutting it down, and we said we honor you for giving your life to ensure and add pleasure and joy and your gorgeous scent to our home. We do this with the highest respect. And, you know, I was pretty young, so I was kind of into it and kind of not. And I've learned, hopefully become wiser since then, because, you know, it's your mother and you're like, oh, my God, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, um, so then we would go to the barn and we'd spend about an hour, an hour and a half, and we'd get pumpkin pies and do all this kind of stuff. In the meantime, the tree would be raising its sap. Uh, so then we'd go back and we'd cut it. And what would happen is we'd bring the tree home. And the tree was always the center of attention. And even when we meditated, we would include the tree. So we had like seven seats, you know, chairs around us, but the tree would be one of those chairs. And uh, we would meditate together. And those trees, when we did that, would last two months. It was amazing, you know, because usually they dry out pretty fast. So try that one. It's a really uh, fun thing to do. The other thing I wanted to tell you for Christmas, and oh my God, you know, I'm a mischievous sort, and I had people so fooled. Um, you, you've probably seen them by now. I got these at lasersandlights.com. I only like one color, but I'm into magical yards, and, you know, my favorite thing about Christmas, quite frankly, is the smell of pine and the magical light, and hopefully the heart opening in people. That's about all Christmas does for me that way. And, I, of course, I like presents. But um, So I have these magical lights up all year long. And I cannot tell you, I probably, I probably had 100 clients who bought them. And what happened is they're, they're done by a little laser. You just stick them outside, plug it in. It's just one little laser. You with a stake and it goes into a plant. Don't put it on a house. That looks cheesy. And don't get any other color other than green unless you like it. To me, all the other colors look cheesy and cheap. The green one, they don't really make white that much yet. It's too expensive. But the green one, and you shine that, hopefully you have a tree or a couple trees somewhere close to you. You shine that so it comes on at night, has a timer, and you're talking thousands of green 
lights appear in the trees and that looks like fairies. And what would happen is I would turn that on and my clients would see it. And every single one of them said, oh, my God, how long did it take you to, uh, you know, put all those lights in the tree? They actually thought. I mean, that's how realistic and magical. And that's something you want to keep up all year long. I'm not kidding. The fairies love it. The nature kingdom loves it. And it creates more magic and beauty. So go to lasers and lights. They might only have the laser that has a red and green light. Just put tape over the red light and just have the green light showing in. Trust me, you're going to love these. Love, love, love those. So that's another idea to, um, since most of you will, will probably be staying at home for Christmas, to just kind of brighten up and make the time a lot more magical for you. A couple, let's see. I'm not even sure if Nicole's around to take questions because I'm sure you have a lot. But um, I'm going to open the Magic of Finhorn book, and I'm just going to open it to wherever it magically opens to share with you um, a message. It looks like, okay, this is about the existence of nature spirits. This is by um, them talking. By interfering with the natural growth of a plant and trying to alter the form through artificial means, often using force, Humankind departs from the archetype design. Apart from the fear and pain produced in the plant, this can bring about lack of alignment with the counterpart, which is the etheric blueprint it has, causing further discomfort and distress to the plant. Instead of using force, it would be better to ask us, the nature spirits, to bring about any modification in the etheric counterpart of the plant you may wish as we have infinite powers to do so and we would if we sense a sincere request done respectfully okay um they have to be convinced of course that it was reasonable and it would add beauty and help mankind, not just for own selfish reasons. So um, that's a direct quote from that book, and that was interesting. And they are trying to remind everyone they have an etheric body, also, as all things do. So um, they also say, this is the page I opened to, our primary basic state is one which you would call a light body. Not easy to describe in words, it's nebulous like a fine mist, being a whirl or vortex of energy in constant motion. It glows with colored lights, sometimes one single color, sometimes two or more, which do not mix, but remain separate like the colors in a rainbow. It frequently changes color and is often covered with a multitude of fine curved lines. They are usually golden but can be other colors. We appear to flow like liquid, forming continually changing patterns of incredible beauty. Our light bodies differ from each other in size and brilliance, just like yours do, varying from pale pastel shades to strong bright colors. All are considered beautiful, pure, and luminous, glowing with inward radiance. We may be regarded or seen out of the corners of your eyes as worlds of energy, our sparkles, 
But believe me, we are energy with intelligence. It is possible to see, communicate with us and our light bodies. However, in these bodies, the elementals are unable to work with the denser forces and counterparts of the plants. They must take on an etheric body first, possibly built of the material from the etheric shell of the earth, which is very interesting. So remember, the divas are like Angela's providing the archetypes, and then the nature spirits have to, like, feed. They, they are made of the earth element, and they feed flowers and plants with their own energy from the etheric body. So I thought that's kind of an interesting thing to open to. So, um, Nicole, if you're around, uh, you just uh, thank you. I just received your email that there's a question. How can we have a direct experience communicating with our own plants? Is there an experiment we could do? Um, It's a great question. And that was what this whole purpose was about. And uh, you do it the same way you do with animals. You first pick a plant, obviously, that you have watered. And do what, you know, the rules of thumb, right, that we talked about are to quiet your mind, to move into kind of a childlike state of wonder and openness. I always like to Speak out loud. You don't have to, but by me speaking out loud, it enforces my, it kind of like reinforces my intention towards the plant because plants pick up pictures by pictures. And as I uh, get, gave you the proof, and if you uh, read, these, uh, read these books, you will see all the experiments proving that plants pick up your intent and everything. Okay? So then, just like with the animals, if you listen to the shows before, most things will respond if you're sincere, if you respect them, and if you love them. People respond with that. Plants respond with that. Animals respond with that. So uh, unless you have this UI device, you may not hear, you're probably not going to hear the sound they'll make back, but you will receive Eventually, in pictures or a thought or a feeling of well-being and mutual love and care back from the plant. And then as you practice that, just practice it all the time. Go hug a tree. Talk to a tree. When, the, when I live around the redwood trees, and when the redwood trees first came to this planet, I know that sounds weird, but this planet was very much terraformed by beings off-world. A lot of it was uh, and brought, uh, I mean, we are the maximum diversity of all plant and species across this uh, universe. So um, the uh, redwood trees, when they first came, were ensouled in a fifth-dimensional body. So they were very awake and very ensouled, had a soul part of them, and it was normal to communicate. Uh, American Indians have taught me, that's probably not the right you know, way of referring to the indigenous um, beings here. Uh, they uh, taught me, they hardly ever speak in words, very much words, quite frankly. They think words get in the way because many have been trained through uh, their bloodlines 
and through their wisdom to be able to listen and know and see and hear what is not being said. They also tune in with, remember we talked about coherence. You have to be on the same wavelength as what you're communicating with. And so you have to like relax, you know, don't get in your mind, enjoy, and just commune. Like you would say with your dog when it's lying peace of, peacefully next to you, okay? Um, you're just kind of communing and comfort together. That dog may look in your eyes and you know that they know and you're both contented. So it's that kind of. So uh, the, um, these indigenous people told me, learn to be quiet and learn to be still and learn to hear or feel or sense because all answers are given to you when you do that. So I'm not always the best at that. I'm a very active person and I know it works. And another perhaps simpler way of saying that is I personally am a very head person, as you can tell from my research. And mo, you know, so it's not really a logical thing to particularly figure out. Uh, just like when you guys have had intuition, usually you'll, that's kind of your gut feeling because there's brain cells actually within your gut, but it's also your heart, lie to your soul. You, we may justify our behavior. We may rationalize how we are. We're great at denial. But there's that little piece that gnaws away. And that is your soul. That is your knowingness that basically you could say sits in your heart center. So remember in one of the previous shows, I taught you in one minute the quick, uh, quick heart math uh, coherent technique. And that is done by putting your hands over your heart, taking a couple deep breaths, and imagining a beautiful place you've been at where you were happy or with your dog that gave you joy. And that immediately drops your energy out of your head into your heart, where your, your heart is something like, oh, gosh, 500 times more powerful magnetically and electric, and 100 times more powerful uh, electrically than uh, your brain. And it receives all information a tenth of a second before your brain. This has been verified by HeartMath Institute. So drop in your heart. Try to feel your chest. Feel a little warmth in there. And then from that place, send your pictures and your thoughts of well-being. Don't, and then just wait in stillness. And it, a picture might pop up. A feeling might pop up. Words might pop up, so that's how you start. And um, keep it really simple. Watch kids do this all the time, five, six, seven-year-olds. They just do this all the time. And um, what I shared in my animal whispering is one of the top animal whispers in the world, Samantha Curry, said, I started by imagining the whole thing. I thought I was imagining talking with him as a little kid. I thought I was imagining the responses back. But the interesting thing about being co-creators is what you imagine actually gets created. Okay? So, so uh, I know it's difficult to um, get out of the head and just be playful and open.
open and know that this is a natural ability and that, trust me on this, nature, the divas, the animal kingdom all went to talk with you today. In fact, I only have a minute or so, but I'll share, you something, share with you something that's been really magically. So I have this habit when I remember, which is only about once every couple of weeks, to wake up in the morning, usually on my day off or something, and say, I'm creating a day filled with magical awe and wonderful synchronicities. And I just put that out there. So, or I will put that out there for the next day. Like, so in this case, this was the night before Thanksgiving. And I was spending it by myself, not for a variety of different reasons, because I was actually doing my show for you guys on the uh, amazing animal communication stories. And I decided so many of you are sequestered at home that I want to do that. So the night before, I put that out. And I had, I had a magical kind of fairy kingdom in my little garden here, and I was missing having a squirrel. I had other things, but I wanted a squirrel. So I said, I invite the squirrel, a squirrel or more, to come be part of my world, and I will feed them a cashew or almond once a week, and I am creating that now to have a day tomorrow of thankfulness towards the animal kingdom and love and appreciation. So, Bottom line, I woke up, I have a glass front door, I stood up, and lined outside this door, swear to God, was a squirrel, a squirrel. I have been here for five years, and there's been no squirrel here. A squirrel, uh, believe it or not, an old possum that I see now and then, two crows that are friends, um, two robins that are friends. Uh, hum, uh, three hummingbirds flying back and forth. But the squirrel showed up. So very slowly, I took out my almonds and cashews, and I opened the door, and uh, the squirrel backed away a little bit. But, but I was able to feed half of them out of my finger and give them each a treat. And I thanked the squirrel, and I said, thank you. You and your kind are invited here every time, any time, as long as you are respectful. And the next day, he brought back his mate. That is how we can create if we maintain a just childlike. I haven't shared that with anybody. So I uh, just popped in when you were asking me to give you an example. So I hope that helps. And it's time to shut down, I think, Nicole. <laughs> so um, I also wanted to let you know that um, I will be doing a show on December 25th. And it will be a surprise. It's going to be a merrily Christmas with a surprise to- topic. And so uh, I w- that will be there for those of you, again, that are sequestered so that you will have a, a fun show. So blessings to you all. 